Let's uh, go to God in prayer. Father, you're so good. You love us and you pursue us. You chase after us. We run from you, but when we turn around, there you are. Always. Your love knows no boundaries. Father, thank you for that love. Father, I pray that as we um, look at your word tonight, that you would um, teach us what you would have us know. Um, That you would have us learn your ways. Father, for those of us who are just at the very beginning of trying to figure who you are out who you are and those of us who've known you for a lifetime father everywhere in between we're here as you know um, because you draw us here so thank you for that and father i pray that your voice would be heard that we would listen to you that we would hear you um that these people gathered would hear your word in my words, that they would hear you um, despite me, um, that I would not get in the way. Um, Father, I pray that for those of us who maybe don't want to listen, are distracted, have other things on our minds, Father, would, would you clear away everything that keeps us from hearing you? Father, bind the enemy who would seek to destroy us, who doesn't love us, who hates us, and would destroy us. Keep him and all those who assist him silent, so that again, all we hear is you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at the book of Mark, and we're kind of going through various aspects of and and certain stories in that book and it's kind of around the theme of discipleship and Eric told us in the first uh, message that discipling discipleship is is just standing up it's getting up it's moving it's doing something and that that we're active in the in the word and so um so that's going to be our invitation tonight. Again, as we look at Mark 7, uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Um, a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about how um, that my longing for you was that you would ask God to reveal himself, to reveal his power to you um, without making it transactional, without you putting any restrictions on what that would look like. Um, some of you have been complaining to me about that, um, and you didn't like that assignment, because we really do want to have restrictions on God. We really want him to operate within our boundaries. And then um, last week, uh, we recognized that Jesus was not known in his own country. He wasn't recognized for who he was. And so um, asking Jesus to make himself clear to us, to make himself um, known to us, uh, as he truly is, um, again, not putting restrictions. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about 
um, the Pharisees and, and his encounter with, with the Pharisees. And, and it's an interesting story because it's kind of a turning play, uh, point in, in the book of Mark. Because up until this point, Jesus has been dealing primarily with the Jewish population, with the people who he came to, the Israelites, um, primarily. And, and now he's going to move away and he's going to be spending more and more time uh, with the Gentiles, with those who aren't Jewish, with those who are out and about. So it's kind of a turning point place, and it's good to bear that in mind as we read Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Many of you here are parents, and um, I wonder if you could tell me some of the village rules, the rules that we have for the children. What are some of the rules that we have about the kids? Pardon me? Get in line with your parents. You have to eat with your parents, yes. Two slices of pizza to start. Don't run in the sanctuary. That's one of my favorites. Don't climb on the furniture. Don't get out 
We even have a sign that says that. You can't get out of there if you're under 12. Can you, can you all tell me, parents, um, where we find those rules in Scripture? <laughs> the Book of Rod, yes. Yes, not the Book of God. Clearly not the Book of God, but the good Book of Rod, right? We do that all the time. We, we make rules, yes. Respect those in authority over you. Matter of fact, honor your father and mother. Keep the Sabbath day holy, right? That's... Um, when I was a kid, I, I, I had very strict parents, and they had high expectations of our Sunday behavior. And you were to, to um, it was a day set aside. So we didn't cook, um, although later in life mom did, but early uh, my mother would not cook on Sunday. She would cook on Saturday enough food that you could then warm in an oven the next day because cooking would be work. And you wouldn't want to do that on Sunday. That was a day set aside for God. <clears throat> we, we dressed up on Sunday. It was very important to dress up. And um, I have really cute pictures of me in a little string tie with a little white shirt and a suit coat and and little sort, short suit pants, which... And then shiny shoes, shiny black shoes. We had to shine our shoes on Sunday night in anticipation of looking good on Sunday. Um, so all of our shoes would be laid out, and we would polish them and shine them up, and, and it was pretty cool. Um, we were not allowed to ride a bike on Sunday. For some reason, we were allowed to throw a ball, but only in the backyard. I, I never quite <laughs> figured that out. Um, uh, there were lots of rules, and and we kind of knew them, and we navigated them fairly well. Sometimes not so much, but but for the most part, we we knew what they were, and we knew when we were violating them. When I would ask, and I did because I questioned everything, um, when I asked my parents, "Why do we do this? Why do we have to do this?" They would say. Keep the Sabbath day holy. And that is God's law. Keep the Sabbath day holy is God's law. And there are rules around that that we make because we think that makes them holy. So to be holy means to be separate and to be set apart for a purpose. And and so my parents knew that they wanted to set Sunday aside as a special day a holy day, a day dedicated to God. So we went to church on Sunday morning. We went to Sunday school after church. We went to grandma's for coffee, and because uh, that's what you did. And then we went home for dinner, and which was always cold because it had been cooked the day before, so it was a cold dinner. Um, and then we we would have. Um, in the afternoon, we would study our catechism classes. We'd have our little catechism studies. Um, we memorized the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I memorized those things, right? I, and I can still recall them. We recited the creeds and the confessions. We learned them. Uh, I loved... Um, when whoever it was last week said, I already know this. Like, we've got this thing memorized, right? We've been talking about the Apostles' Creed forever. We got this down. We do. We know it. 
And, but our job was to repeat it and to study it and to learn it. And then in the evenings we went to church again and had the evening service, and that was the catechism sermon where it was really boring. And so, um, and because you'd just been studying it. And then we finally got to go um, to somebody's house for dinner for a little lunch afterwards, and then uh, you'd wake up Monday free um, from all those rules all those expectations. The law was honor that day. My parents made a whole bunch of rules around what it meant to honor. And I suspect that many of you do the same thing. You have expectations of of what you should do. Sunday is different. It's supposed to be a day set aside. Matter of fact, one of the things that I, I, I do a lot of pastoring of other pastors and mentoring of pastors, and one of the things I get on them about is that they break the law often because they don't take a day, they don't take a Sabbath day, where they spend time resting, enjoying God, and spending time with Him in His presence, enjoying their family together, worshiping God. They don't do it because Sunday is not that day for us, right? So, I hate to break it to you, but Sunday is, is a work day for me, and so, um, at least for sure for the last three weeks, and um, I can't wait that Eric's getting back. So, um, But anyway, we're, it's hard for us to just take time away, to take time away from the busyness of the routines of life and set aside a day for God. And to do that, it is good for us to set boundaries, to create ways that we might do that. Where it goes bad, and it often goes bad, is that we start judging other people's ways of honoring God, of being respectful towards this day, this Sunday observance. We judge those who do not comply with our standards, our rules. When I see kids hopping from... from from uh, couch to couch, I usually think the first thing, those kids are out of control. Then I start thinking, okay, whose kids are they? (laughs) Right? Because that's a judgment. Somebody's not doing their job. Somebody's not parenting very well. I have rules around don't jump on the couch. I I make those rules up. (laughs) They're not in the Bible. They're just Rod's rules. And I get irritated and I start judging people, and I get upset with the child, and I go and sometimes grab them and make them sit by me, and, and, and then I have a little talking to with them, and, and then they look at me like I'm insane, and, um, and I sort of am. But it's easy to suddenly go into this whole judgmental thing. Somebody's not doing their job. There's rules. There are rules to be followed, and there's expectations And it's easy to fall into judgment of those who don't measure up. That's what the Pharisees did. That was their thing. It's easy to do that. It's interesting because the second thought that I have when I see kids running around and bouncing around is I think, that's what I used to do. And I loved it when I got away with it, right? We, we would jump from, pew, uh, from the back of each pew to the back of the other pew when mom and dad weren't looking. We ran through the sanctuary when we were kids. We got yelled at. So, <clears throat> but, and we probably got judged. And our parents got judged. You know, my poor parents, right? They have this crazy ADD kid who's jumping around, running all around, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. 
and they're trying desperately to keep me quiet, and other parents are going, hmm, those Hugens must not be very good parents. Look at how crazy their child is. That boy isn't under control at all. They need to discipline him. My poor parents. What happens is we start doing things for appearances' sake. We start doing things because we want things a certain way. Now, I have a good reason for not jumping all over the furniture. That's because this furniture is a gift from God to us. And it gets a lot of use. And we don't have a ton of money to go out and buy new furniture. So God has the Hilton Hotel rebuild their, or uh, refurnish their rooms, and we get all these wonderful gifts. And I, I see them as gifts from God, and, and I want them to be well-treated, and I want them to be respected, and I, and I do want the children to respect, the kids to respect the things that God's given us. I do want kids to be with their parents in line so that they don't just take all the bacon, right? Because I like bacon, and I'm always last in line, and then I don't get any. So, so there's that, and then there's, it's just good for parents to kind of oversee their children in line and and to make sure they know whether or not their child has, is getting a soda or not. But we do this for appearance. When I read stories about the Pharisees, I always think those horrible people. And then I remember I am one. Matter of fact, pretty much of us, pretty much all of us who've grown up in the religious traditions surrounding the church are pretty pharisaical. We know how it's supposed to be done. And we kind of look askance at people who don't know how it's done, who don't get it right. Because we have expectations. I, I often go to this little uh, cozy corner cafe on Tuesday mornings. Tuesday's my Sabbath, kind of my day away. Um, often I, tr- you know, I really try to rest on that most days. Sometimes I move it to Thursday, depending on what's going on. I do take a day every week, but often on Tuesday mornings I get up and, I, and I'll go over there to this place and have breakfast, and Lori's one of the servers there, and, and she was asking me what I did, and I told her I was a pastor, and she couldn't believe it. She says, but you always come in here in shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. I, I said, well, I didn't know that precluded me from being a pastor, but, you know, maybe, um, and she says, well, I bet you don't preach at your church dressed like this. <laughs> I said, that is a losing bet. <laughs> so I invited her to come. She hasn't yet, but one of these days she will. And, uh, and it's fun. It's fun to, to see her expectations, what she thinks are the requirements for a pastor, right? We have those. We all make those judgments. And that gets in the way of our worship. That gets in the way of our acknowledging who God is. What religious habits get in the way of your worship? What religious habits get in the way? Where do you make demands on other people? Where do you become a burden instead of someone who's grace-filled and loving and kind? Where do you 
Where do you start judging? Where do people not live up to your expectations, your requirements, what they should do? Hypocrisy is looking good instead of being good. Being good is really hard. Doing what God calls us to do, to worship him, to take a day each week to spend with him, that's really hard to do. To honor mother and father, that's really hard to do. To not steal in any way, shape, or form. To not kill with words as well as weapons, that's really hard. To to not want what other people have in such a way that they don't have it, that's, that's hard. The law is clear. And in the New Testament, the, the Ten Commandments get summed up in two laws. One is love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second, which is like that first one, because you can't separate the two, is love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to be loving. We want to look loving and, and have people think that we're loving, but we, but we don't want to bear the burden of actually being loving. That, that's, that's way too hard. That's way too difficult. In this passage, the Pharisees had come up with this beautiful method of avoiding giving money to help their parents. Jesus points out that, that there's this law, the law of God, that says to honor your father and mother. Honor them. That's hard to do. That requires work. That requires being thoughtful. That requires pursuit of them. Last year, um, actually two days ago, was the one-year anniversary of my mother's death. And leading up to her dying uh, for those last few years, because I lived closest to her, she lived in Phoenix, and my siblings all lived much, much further away, it kind of fell on me as the oldest son to take care of mom. I, I would like to say that your pastor just thought that that was the greatest joy ever that it was just such a delight to take care of my mom who was slowly losing her mind, sinking deeply into dementia. It wasn't. (laughs) There were days I really didn't like her at all. It's funny how her dying and being a year later, the good memories kind of (laughs) remain. And not all those times when she would call and say, Rod, are are you taking care of my finances? I go, Mom, I'm taking care of your finances. Your finances are fine. Well, I don't think you know what you're doing. Could you give me the number of your friend Wayne? Because he's a really good accountant, and and he could take care of them. I said, Mom, I've been taking care of your money for forever. I know, but I just don't trust you. Great, Mom. Thanks. Right? You don't. You don't have what it takes, Rod. (laughs) Your brother Mark, he comes to visit me, but you never come to visit me. Mom, I come every week. Like every other week I'm down in in Phoenix for some reason or another, and I'm always 
there for you. And if you call me, I'll come. I, what do you mean I don't ever visit you? Well, you visit me when you got other things to do. Mark came, your brother, he came, and he visited me just to visit me. Ouch. You don't really love me, Rod, like he does. See, mom was kind of unlovable. And towards the end, she got kind of mean because that's one of the things that happens when you have dementia. You get right down, downright nasty. You get downright racist. You get da- right down mean. Like there's all things that came out of her mouth that you kind of go, whoa. That's not my sweet, kind, gentle, loving mother. But Scripture doesn't say love your mother when she's lovable. <laughs> it didn't say love your dad when he's a really good dad. It said love them. And, I don't, and to love my mother meant to provide for her care, to make sure that she didn't suffer, as was to the best of my ability to do. It meant that it was costly. The Pharisees came up with a really great way around this rule. If you took money, if you took from what you had been given, the resources that you had, if you took money and you set it aside um, to help your parents, that was a really good thing to do. That would be honorable. That would be what God would have expected, that you would help your parents in their old age. But, the Pharisees wanted to hang on to that money. So they came up with a way where you could offer the money to God and then you could keep it, but it was dedicated to God to be used for God at some later date. So you didn't... And something that was going to be given to God and dedicated to God, well, you couldn't spend that on your parents. You couldn't spend that on something else. That was dedicated to God. So they would take their considerable resources, dedicate them to God, and then not have to help their mom and dad. That's what Jesus is saying, you hypocrites. You don't keep the law. You don't care about your mom and dad as they age. You're not helping them. Instead, you are acting like you're really godly. Oh, I'm such a godly man. I have given to God this money in the future, so I can't give it to him. I just, I'd love to give him, you know, I'm so holy. I would really like to give and help my parents, but I dedicated this money to God, so what can I do? I'm stuck. difficult for us to not find ways to avoid doing what God calls us to do. We're hypocrites because we find ways around doing what God calls us to do. The law is simple and clear. 
God's expectations of us are that we will live in such a way that we honor him with our lives, that we honor what he calls us to do. It's not really stealing if everybody does it. I'm going to tell on my wife, and you can tell her I told on her. When she worked for the VA hospital many years ago, we had a drawer full of ink pens and a huge number of them. And on each one of them were printed property, she, she works for the VA, property of the federal government do not remove from the premises under penalty of law in our desk drawer at home. So I confronted my wife with her sin, because that's what good husbands do. (laughs) Please. I was pure in this, maybe a little, no. And I laughed at her, and I said, look at this. And she said, what? Everybody does it. Everybody does it. Sure, everybody does that. That's not stealing. (laughs) And they're not very good pens anyway. Hypocrites, all of you are hypocrites. If you laughed, you're hypocrites, right? (laughs) Right? That's what we do. We justify. We know, well, it's not really like that. And we do that with all of our sin. I justify my sin. I condemn yours. That's the essence of hypocrisy. We hide. It's not what we're invited to do. Second Corinthians ten three through six says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and even lofty and ever every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Jesus says that what comes out of us is what corrupts us, what comes out of our hearts, what comes out of our desire to look good and not be good. And so we think, what we think becomes really important. And we're called on, Jesus calls us to take those thoughts captive. Take the thought captive. That sort of means that you're going to have those thoughts, right? You're going to have those thoughts. Corruption comes out from us. I'm tempted to lust after a beautiful woman. I'm I'm tempted to take something that doesn't belong to me. I'm I'm tempted to, to destroy someone with words because I'm angry with them. And then what do I do with that? I take that captive. I say, no, that's wrong. I cannot think that way. I cannot act that way. I cannot do, I can't follow up on that. We take that thought captive when we declare it to be what it is, sinful disobedience. Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience is complete that we take on this desire 
this passion to turn from our sin. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't allow that to happen. Don't be tempted in that area. And you say, well, okay. But the truth is, I think we're all Pharisees. We all have those Pharisaical tendencies. We all do that. So what do you do if you're a Pharisee? My friend David Ganey is a really good buddy, pastor friend. We we were at dinner one evening, a bunch of us pastors, and, and he was kind of on the hot seat, and at the end of his uh, little hot seat experience, he was talking about how the previous time that he had kind of undergone this thing that that he had realized just how prideful and arrogant he was. And then he said the most hilarious sentence he's, I've heard in a long time, I'm so proud that I'm no longer like I was. <laughs> and we all fell off our chairs laughing at him. <laughs> I'm so proud that I'm no longer prideful. Without the glorious grace of Jesus, without his forgiveness and his love, we can't stand up under the weight of our hypocrisy. We cannot stand up. We cannot walk as disciples, as disciplined followers of Jesus. We can't do it in our power and in our strength. We are Pharisees. We choose badly. But Jesus comes with the good news. Your sins are forgiven. Your judgments are forgiven. The way you treat others, that's forgiven. What you've said, what you've thought, what you've done, those things are forgiven. When you ask him to take those burdens from you. And then you can do this joyful thing, which is walk in the joy of being forgiven. Walk in the joy of being forgiven. So my invitation to you this week and in the weeks ahead is to stand up, get up, and walk in the joy of having been forgiven And when you do that, I think you'll begin to find it easier and easier not to judge kids who run and jump on the couches or or judge your wife for taking pens from the hospital. And you'll begin to focus more and more on your own sinful desires, those things that keep you at a distance from God, those ways in which you lie, cheat, steal, murder, fail to honor your parents. I got a minute or two. Any questions? Pushbacks? No. 
Yes, walk in the joy of having been forgiven. And the next day, in the days ahead, right? That's, I guess that's the part of the, I'm sorry. That's the part of the phrase that you were looking for. Okay. What do you do for show? What religious habits get in the way of worship? Where do you make demands on others? How do you judge others? And then what comes out of you? Any other questions? Let's go to God in prayer.